0: Have you ever spent time with friends and come back feeling that even after hours of conversation, no one really knows what's going on with you? No one's even asked. Are you someone who would rather share your toothbrush than share your feelings? Or perhaps you know someone who pours out their heart at home, but never lets on that they're struggling with friends or with work colleagues. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Naren Senthil Nathan, a GP trainer and mentor who knows firsthand the perils of bottling up your feelings, not admitting that you're struggling and avoiding asking for help. Naren shares his experiences as a BAME man working in medicine, and we explore the cultural and societal reasons why men, perhaps more than women, struggle with this. We chat about the perceived expectations and why it seems much easier to keep conversations at a superficial level rather than showing vulnerability and disclosing more personal stuff about yourself. So listen, if you want to find out why admitting you're not okay can be so difficult for some people, what to do if you're living with or trying to support someone who's struggling yet won't seek help. And listen, if you want to find out how vulnerability and a little self-disclosure can help start to build authentic relationships in which we can be ourselves and admit how we really are. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout we have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So it's great to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Naren Senthil-Nathan. Now, Naren is a salary GP. He's a training program director up in Chesterfield. He's also a GP trainer and he's a mentor for the GPS scheme. So, Naren, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, welcome, Rachel.
0: Great to have you with us. So Naren, um, I know that you have a special interest in the sort of cultural issues around mental health problems, the barriers that stop people recognising and sort of accessing help with their own mental health, I guess, particularly for doctors and particularly for men and for particularly for male doctors with a BAME background. Is that Right.
1: That's absolutely right, Rachel. Yeah. Now, thank you for having me on. First of all, it's it's just a pleasure to be on. And I know when we spoke a few months ago about this podcast, it was something that was very close to my heart. And as you say, from a South Asian background, originally born in India, moved over to the UK when I was very young, about four or five. So having grown up in that culture and that environment and comparing to where I am now, I just felt I could share some of my experiences And I suppose helpful top tips for the demographic you've just described to help them out in what has been clearly a very difficult few years as well for everyone.
0: Yeah. So now, why, why is it a problem in the first place?
1: Having had this personal experience, my parents were fantastic. My family were fantastic, very loving, very supportive. But I know from, you know, friends, family, and also culturally that mental health, just isn't one of those things that's spoken about at the dinner table or even spoken about at all you know people feel there's a certain taboo associated with it you know it's not a physical issue so you know it's not talked about as much and it's the usual you know stiff upper lip type of thing where you're told typically just to get on with it deal with it and get on with it so I think as a child, if you're growing up and you've, in those formative years, you've been told, you know, these type of things, it's very difficult for you to open up as you get older. And I think that leads to a lot and lots of issues as well. There's a movie, I was just watching it the other day. It's a Bollywood movie, a Hindi movie, where a baby's first born, that's the opening scene. And it's looking up at its loving parents and its grandparents and the, the father says, son, you will be an engineer. It's very typical of a, you know, of of the South Asian background where you're told or you're expected, sorry, to to be one of three things, a doctor, (laughs) an engineer, or something to do with accounting or banking. And it's not really, back in the day, it was, you were thought of as a, almost a failure. If you, if you didn't achieve those goals, and obviously things have thankfully changed a lot now, but that sort of, some of the expectations can weigh up on an individual and it's a shame. It's an absolute shame, really. And, you know, those two things side by side just lead to a, a you know, difficult situation for, for people.
0: So what, what you're saying is that mental health issues or just even how you're doing personally, things like that possibly weren't discussed as, as run-of-the-mill Things and and it wasn't particularly acknowledged that it was okay not to be okay. And then that combined with this expectation that you will have a professional career and job, a sort of a a perfect storm, that means that it's much much more difficult for people to is it to identify that they have possibly struggling or have a mental health problem, or is it that if you do identify it, you find it very difficult to get help? Mm. Was it a bit of both? I
1: think it's it's. it's- it's a good question. I think it's a combination of both. In you know, honesty, I think because you know when, when you've been taught not to express your feelings, for example, or talks talk up to someone about you know how you're feeling, really, you're never really aware in the first place. Okay, this doesn't feel right. I I don't feel right. But you know I felt this way before, so I know I can get through it. Type of thing. And obviously, we know that. That can lead to problems if, if they're not addressed, because there can be a much of a big, much bigger issue down the line. And um, I think obviously, things are changing now, and you know, the, I can see that there is it, my friends that I grew up with, obviously they, they understand the impact of, you know not speaking about certain issues, growing up in obviously the Western world. And actually, they're encouraging their kids a lot more to to be open, speak up about their issues. So hopefully, things are changing in that sense. But no, I think it's, I think it's a combination of things. And obviously, if you've not been allowed to speak up, you don't know how really to to who to go to, I suppose, as well, and how to express your emotions and your feelings. You know, because obviously, if you are feeling anxious or upset, there's there's a number of ways that you can. Express those issues. It can be just speaking quietly. You could burst out in, you know, anger. You may even turn to, you know, substance misuse, which is such a shame. But you I think it's a combination of those two.
0: I was going to say, what, what sort of problems have you seen in doctors from them suppressing this and not dealing with issues and not not speaking?
1: Yeah, I suppose if I take more of a general overview of not just BAME. Uh, there be it the bank community or you know i can see that that medics actually other high stressful jobs it leads to earlier burnout and the level of stress the anxiety that's not being addressed they turn to and as i say substance issues be it your, your oh. alcohol or smoking etc cetera, etc cetera. it can affect relationships with friends and family they just they don't see them Anywhere near high, as much as they should, and it can eventually lead to unsafe practice at work. You know, unsafe patient care, and it could have all been dealt with earlier on. Just such a shame.
0: And are there any particular coping strategies that you see, sort of maybe men from the BAME community adopting more often that may be more culturally acceptable than others?
1: yeah it's, I suppose if I use example, a real life example of a friend who. He's a close friend. He's from the BAME community and he works in healthcare. And for many years, he, typical case, he, you know, his, unfortunately, his, his dad wasn't, his parents weren't very good at allowing him to speak. It was just, again, just brush under the carpet. And, you know, he's got a family now, lovely family, but he doesn't speak up about his issues, and now he's he's on you know long term sick, and he hasn't really taken time for himself. Didn't have any self compassion. He hasn't you know done the right things in terms of to stop burnout, and he's actually in long term sick because of burnout because of stress, which has led to not a breakdown, but just a lot of stress. You know, and low mood, anxiety. Thankfully, he's doing a lot better, but. It just hit home, and I think that's the type of person I keep in mind that I'd like to help out with by doing things like this podcast and so on, because that shouldn't happen to anyone. It's just sad to see him go through that, but as I say, he's in a better and much better place.
0: So it's that not talking about it, not expressing emotions, expectations that just keep going and going, and, and rather than just having to take a little bit of time out, actually what happens is you end up with a quite a spectacular burnout, <laughs> which then... So, just persists, and I guess if you're not removing the problem so if you're not making any modifications to work or your expectations of yourself or if there's no self-compassion and you're just going to go back into exactly the same situation then that's going to be very difficult to heal from and if you're not at a point where you're happy to talk about it or admit it or speak to a professional then absolutely that's going to be really hard to heal isn't it
1: absolutely and I suppose this happens socially still to the day, Rachel. Where unfortunately men have to be the alpha male or the macho male, where they don't really talk about problems. No, it's it's not a dumb thing now, but we know that's problematic. And this has happened. I can see it happening every day to friends. And yes, it's it's difficult. You can't just go up to a random person and say, "Oh, I'm feeling this way." Obviously not. No, because that would be a bit odd. <laughs> but obviously, if you have a trusted group, you know, you're. Your, your, your half, your partner, whoever, or even friends. I think that the most difficult step is the first step is to actually recognize you have an issue and speak up about it. And I think if that is done, I do this with patients all the time, especially young men who come in and say, Oh, you know, I've been feeling this way. And I tell them, Look, congratulate, you know, well done for coming to see me or speaking to me, because that is the, that's the most important step, recognizing the issue. And they feel a lot better and they engage with the processor.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I see that in my work as well. Mm-hmm. So when I run the Shapes Toolkit courses, the majority will, will be women on the courses, particularly, you know, often if I run them for training schemes or GP fellow schemes and stuff, we, we've got an equal number and they get equal feedback from the men and the women. But if it's a self-selected, you know, do you want to register for it? It will be overwhelmingly women and i had a, a a male facilitator with me the other day he's like why is it that it's you know the men need it's just as much probably even more the women for some reason are just happy to go yeah I, I need that course i need i need that training and then the other thing that i have noticed and this is a sweeping generalization so please do correct me <laughs> but when i meet my friends for coffee i have a group of friends i meet i meet every week after a circuit training class and you know Often one of us is having a hard time. We're talking about what's going on. It's difficult. And maybe someone in tears. It's a really good source of support. It's so helpful. And I I was in a coffee shop the other day, just doing some work. And this group of, you know, about 60-year-old men met up and sat Mm. down next to me. They'd gone for their coffee. I thought, wasn't that nice having coffee? Honestly, they spoke for an hour and a half about football. Literally an hour and a half. I could hear every word of it. And I thought... I mean, okay, fair enough. You're interested in football. Half an hour. But like, I was thinking, you're probably a grandfather. You've probably got your own business. You've probably got this and that. Not once <laughs> did they say, so how, how are you doing? How are you getting on? How's work? How are your kids? How's, yeah. Nothing. I thought, is that normal for guys? I don't know. Because I don't meet up with lo- loads of guys just, well, you know, I don't meet up with a bunch of guys. For coffee, yeah. I don't know. But is that, is that your experience?
1: Yeah, no, it, I can I can resonate. You know, I can relate to that. No, you know, growing up, you know, during during school, college, uni, the workplace, group of lads, it's typically over, it's that- particularly over a, a pint of beer, you know, or a drink in the pub. It's not really conducive to chats about well-being and how it, how are you doing. And even if you do go to a coffee shop, uh, for example, it's usually to do our sports. It's historic. Isn't it, Rachel? So, men are notoriously rubbish at talking about any sort of health issues, be it physical, be it you know mental health issues. It's just a case in point of of the of the of the gentleman you saw in the coffee shop. You know, they just don't talk about their well being and how they're doing. A simple question of how are you is not heard. I suppose how are you doing type of thing, but you know, tell me more about how things are going is not a done thing, is it? Absolutely, and. Do you know what? It's so, so interesting. And I'm so happy that you've mentioned that point, Rachel, about kind of women accessing more of the courses like your Shapes Toolkit and the mentoring. And that's what I found during my time with GPS so far is I think 90% of the mentees are, are women. And I refuse to believe that men are coping okay. I really do. <laughs> I refuse to believe that.
0: They are not. I can tell you that.
1: Absolutely, and I, I don't buy into the thing about not having enough time because I know lots of men, lots of friends who are GPs who do who don't do the eight or ten sessions. They do have a fixed day off, etc. So finding time is not the issue. There is something else, and I think this is one of the major issues that it's not seen to be socially or traditionally accepted for blokes to talk about their, you their, know, their, 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 their issues.
0: Okay, let's get down to you know. Yes, it's not socially culturally historically accepted is it because it's seen either by themselves or by the group as a sign of weakness is it something to do with pride what what is it
1: i say women are complicated but i think blokes are even more complicated (laughs) to be honest (laughs) i agree Uh, i think you've hit the nail on head on all three Rachel. i think it's the it's the pride thing where i think you can see it if other blokes see it, you know one of their one of their friends feeling a bit weak about things, they think less of him. Just horrible. I think it's that thing where the male or the man is supposed to be the the strong one, the provider, whatever, and he can't afford to be weak or talking about his issues. And it's, I, I I've got a funny feeling those things will not completely go away. It's scary to say that, but I think. Obviously by doing things like this, raising awareness is one of the ways that we can, we can help people in that situation to come forward and get the help that they need. Funnily enough, one of the registrars that is on the kind of the tra- training program, I heard a historian, he was a, someone who took shared paternity leave and you know, it's, it's kind of working. It's not that thing where he gets two weeks of pat leave and he comes back to work and everything's hunky-dory. No. Absolutely not. I spoke to someone last week who's just come back from part leave and, you know, he missed the first meeting because he was busy with child care. He's got a new newborn. So I refuse to believe that just because that they're a bloke, they don't deserve the same amount of support in that sense. But it's up to blokes to engage, recognize, sorry, recognize, engage and get the help that they need. It's, yeah... <laughs>
0: top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are slash quiz and if you were in the pub because it's interesting you said oh you know the pub at the point it's not the right place to bring it up but I'm thinking well why not because if I'm the wine bar with a glass of wine or a pint of beer frankly I'd bring it up yep. girls would girls would so why is the pub not in conducive place before? You know, if you brought it up in that yeah. situation with your mates, what would happen? Would it be like silence? Everyone that shuffles around, looks a bit awkward, goes, sorry about that, mate, and then goes back to talk about football? Or would, would they engage? Don't how many pints and hand by that. <laughs> Yeah, because they're at that point where you just start weeping, isn't there? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, in all seriousness, I think it's, I think if it was a one-on-one with a, mm. with a friend, with a mate, you would be it would be okay. But if you've got a group of lads, you know, it, it can be a lot more difficult. And again, it's that whole macho thing of, you know, men being men, boys being boys type of thing, where they just don't share. it. And it's, I don't know if it's genetic or what, but you're absolutely right, Rachel, you know, women are more likely to speak, whatever the situation, perhaps, you know, I've seen with this whole childcare thing, you know, two dads, going to the park with their little ones and that's a good time as well. I suppose the only thing with pubs is you don't know how loud it's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. So, and yeah, I think things in one-on-one would be a lot, maybe in a group of three rather than more, more than four or five would be a lot easier to speak about these issues.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's true for women as well. I think there is something about a, a smaller group mm. and one-on-one being much, much better. But sometimes we don't sort of put ourselves in that position where we would have those sort of quite intimate, intimate relationships. And I I think I, I've observed over the years that I think women sometimes form those relationships more than men. I think sometimes men can get quite lonely in their social relationships or, or end up just having friends who are partners of their wives or, or things like that. Is, is that a <laughs> correct observation?
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned that. So my daughters have started at a new school and one of the first things we like to do is obviously connect with our parents. And so when we went for the you know the formal, informal visit of the school in last term and so on, the the head teacher said, oh, there's, there's a, there's a mum's WhatsApp group. And I was like, oh no, because I, I want to be part of a dad's mm-hmm. WhatsApp group. There may well be one, but it wasn't the first thing that this the head teacher said. Anyway, so the, the mum's obviously very good at, socializing, interacting with each other, organizing playdates and, you know, such a source of useful help, you know, come up this day, they got this club on that day. And I suppose men just, again, I refuse to believe they don't want to be involved, but they don't get involved for whatever reason. The other thing is we, we find that with GP trainees who say drop their kids off in nursery or school or have those social circles external to the training program most cases fare a lot better during training because they form those circles because they form those networks and they're not isolated and and you're absolutely right the loneliness is a key factor that men tend to just get on with it and not become recluse but yeah they sort of are withdrawn from all of these activities
0: there's something else that plays into that relationship thing as well so you were saying that you know you're Men are taught, you know, you don't want to show weakness, you've got to be the strong. you've got to be the strong one. And culturally admitting something's not right often doesn't happen. Yeah. And all the the stuff I've been listening to and reading about and hearing about forming deep close relationships, interpersonal relationships, yeah. is about vulnerability and self-disclosure. So the way to form close relationships and supportive relationships is to be vulnerable with somebody and is to self-disclose something I mean you don't need to completely bare your soul but just even a little bit that is the way we form close relationships but if you've got that thing about I must be perfect, I must be the hero and then you've got the cultural layer on top that and it's not okay to admit that presumably that's like a double whammy for men
1: I um, I love this concept of vulnerability it's just helped me out so much of the you know last few years. Being vulnerable, I must say, I suppose it does any takeaway point from this podcast for so for anyone listening, is being vulnerable is not a sign of weakness. Just because you speak up about things that are affecting you doesn't make you a weaker person. In fact, it makes you stronger because you are speaking up about these issues. And you know, you can have one person that you go to, you can have um, two or three people. If you want to form meaningful relationships, get to know that person and just knock on their door and say, can I have a coffee with you? Obviously the person will just, that'll fill them with dread. (laughs) The moment you say, can we have a chat? It's, oh dear God, who have I killed? As in in work or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, I've got a court hearing or inquesting, whatever, but no, it's just informal chat. The main person I go to is, is, is my wife. I think she's she's helped me out so much and even with work issues has been you know the bedrock of, of building a solid work you know career uh, and vice versa being there to support her so that that's kind of the kind of teamwork i suppose if i extrapolate all that to work you, i think with the mentoring job i've realized how fortunate i am to work with the people i work with i'm not just being biased but i do mean that you know we're such a we do look out for each other and it Nothing's too much trouble. And I think that all helps, you know, if you set the boundaries out of the start, not boundaries, I should say, set the set of expectations, tell them what you're like. You know, I like to chat about things. It's okay if they come to you with with some problems. And usually nine times out of 10, the other person will say, yes, of course. It's almost forming this thing called a tribe, forming a tribe that you can rely on, you can count on, and they've got your back and you've got their back. And you go into work, I no longer get much Sunday night blues when I'm going to work on a Monday, because I look forward to the people I work with to have those informal coffees and the, the huddles, for example, and so on. And that improves your resilience at the end of the day, knowing that you've got a supportive work environment. And in having listened to your podcasts, we're actually, again, going back to this quote, survive and thrive. And I actually think more than just survive recently, it's more... Was thriving. And that's all because of the simple concept of vulnerability. Speaking up about these issues. And what may seem like a massive issue was is actually just something so minor that you thought, why well, was I even bothered about this type of thing? And I've gone home knowing that we've discussed this, we've moved on, and it's it's perfectly fine. Because I used to be the typical bloke who, you know, university. F1, F2, etc. Ah, it'll be fine, you know, You know, I'm, I'm getting over this. And my wife always tell me, Raid, what are you doing? This is horrible. Don't sweep things under the carpet. Talk to people. And, and yeah, you feel a, a lot better for it.
0: And so did you have to practice being vulnerable?
1: Absolutely. It's difficult when you've got a learned behavior of not talking about things. So... It would be a case of, I suppose, coming home and not of debriefing, but just having a chat with my wife over dinner. And, and it builds from there. So if you've had a particularly rubbish day, whatever you might be doing, you come and have a chat to that person or your member of your tribe. Same with work is, you know, you you might be having a rubbish day, rubbish patient. Do not you know where to go in your career? You're having a bit of a, a rethink in your work-life balance. You talk to that person in, that you trust, and that transparency, you know, I feel improves relationships. So the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And also, if you go to that other person, you really trust them. They know how to pitch the level of challenge and their response as well, because they've got to know you. They got to know your personality. Likewise. And likewise.
0: But it does start with a little bit of self disclosure from yourself, doesn't it? And it's interesting when you're saying about building your tribe. You know, there are some practices, some workplaces that are really closed off. You know, everyone's, everyone's okay. Everyone's fine, but it doesn't take many people. It just takes one person to go in and go, oh, I've had a crappy, oh, that's been awful. I'm really worried about this. And everyone goes, wow, okay, that, that person's, you know, that person said that. And then you can share a little bit more the next time. It's not about burying your soul completely to start off with that. There is such a thing as oversharing, but Mm little by little and maybe it's someone who really for them culturally that's difficult or you know for whatever reason just start with something just share something that you wouldn't normally share to someone that you think might appreciate that and see you're probably quite surprised at what comes back have you found that when you've shared with people they've actually reciprocated and they've told you stuff
1: oh absolutely 100% Rachel so if I use actual real life examples so first example is this morning of somebody I was mentoring and he is a a UK graduate, grew up in this country, et cetera, but he works at practice who sound like they're very isolated. So I told him, listen, let's call him Bob for argument's sake. Bob, why don't you go upstairs to the meeting room and say to everyone in your team, I'm going to have lunch upstairs, get away from my consulting room. Let's have some lunch together. Let's have a cup of tea or coffee. Get away from that screen in front of you and build those, have those conversations about just." How's your day going? What did you do at the weekend, or what are your plans for the weekend? It doesn't have to be. Oh gosh, I'm having a crap time at home, etc. Um, etc. Cetera, et cetera, straight away, no, just little by little. So, as the other example, I'd like to bring in is more of the, you know, I suppose the issues faced by individuals from the BAME community. Rachel, so we've got a lot of registrars who are from. I don't like the term. International medical graduates, but who didn't train in the UK, for example. And what I found over the years is that because of their training programs and their job nature in, say, you know, in hospitals, for example, it's very hierarchical. So there's very little use of first name terms. I tell people when I first meet them, please just call me Noreen. Don't call me Dr. Nathan. And it's difficult, poor souls, for them to get used to it. And there's a lot of a, a bit of a barrier in that sense. And again, it's more of a case in those cultures of, Don't talk about issues, just get on with it. And so when you do speak to them, it's it's met initially with a, oh, what's what's going on here? sort of confused look from them. But again, it's just chipping away, chipping away, letting them know that they're in a safe environment, in a safe place where they can share. And actually, they do open up. And we've learned amazing things about our registrars in these informal discussions. So,
0: what I'm interested in is, how we can help our colleagues be more vulnerable? I'm the sort of person that, well, I, I've, as you know, I've got a podcast. I sort of tell everybody about <laughs> what's going on with me. So I, I never really have had a problem with opening up and showing. So to me, it's really weird that no, that somebody wouldn't, that someone would just think it was completely dreadful to have to show weakness. So that's completely alien to me. If I had a colleague like that in a practice or in my workplace that were Maybe it was a bit obvious that they were struggling, but they were very private. How do I help them? How do I even approach that?
1: I think one of a quote that I've I've loved listening to over the last few months is be the change you want to see. So you you, you know, you knock on their door, you do you want a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, shouldn't go for a walk. Not even engage them in that issue that's bothering them. Just talk about you know the hobbies for what they do in their spare time and et cetera. Oh, how's trading going? How's work going? etc. Did you see this? Did you see this? Well, the football <laughs> on the weekends? And I think building up that trust with that individual, it can take time. But again, if you are say in that in that in that in that scenario where you're having a meeting or you're having lunch and you do, and you spoke up to others say, Yeah, it's been a bit of a rubbish day. It's been a bit of a I've had a really difficult patient. And they will then observe you you know talking about those issues and then hopefully they'll start to put that into practice it's a fine line of being too intrusive but i think slowly but surely you keep engaging them in conversation letting them know that it's okay to talk up let them not be lonely type of thing hopefully they'll start to open up soon
0: Mm. and then how do we spot the signs because i I've spoken with several guys who have been getting more and more stressed. things are worse and worse and worse and worse. And what has ended up happening is they have literally burst into tears at work and completely lost it. And no one had any clue. And then, you know, it's been really difficult for them. How do you spot that before it happens?
1: Um, I know if I say, for example, I use it myself as a, as a stud case study, um, is people have noticed that I'm not the usual jovial self. I'm not the usual, um, you know, smiley, chatty person. I think that's the same. So you have to understand the person of of their baseline. So what what is their behavior normally? Do they turn to work at X amount of time? And if anything gets worse, are they turning up later? Are they staying later? Because they They're not confident in their skills and their judgment. And are they more with usually the bigger size? Are they more withdrawn? Are they coming out of their room? Are they having lunch with others? Is stuff getting missed? You know, are they getting more complaints? You know, are they, if they're clean shaven, are they now growing a beard? You know, things like that is something out of the ordinary or if they might snap as well. You know, I think your person we talked about before ended up crying, unfortunately. And so they might have outbursts of anger. Or their email responses might be a bit bit off. Think out to character, so it's like a Swiss cheese model. It's trying to pick up those problems earlier on, if, if there's any change to the norm,
0: really. And then what do you do if you've spotted there's something wrong? You can tell there's something going on, but like you said, that person doesn't feel they can admit it because of pride or because of background or because of culture, but you really know there's something wrong, but you've asked them, how are you doing? Let's have a walk. they haven't engaged. Can you, can you do anything?
1: Yeah. And I think this is where it goes to teamwork really. So you've, uh, you know, that there's an, you think there's an issue. You have tried engaging with this in, said individual and you then speak to your colleagues, not in a, a bitchy sense, because I listened to your podcast with Ed Pooley recently. So not in a bitchy sense, but more in a supportive sense that yeah. oh, I'm really worried about, really worried about Bob. And have have you noticed any issues as well? And perhaps just two of you go in and, or. You know, the the partner goes and just has a chat with the said individual. Is is everything okay? Can, can can we grab a drink or a coffee? Just let you know we're we're here for you, type of thing. And sometimes it's all it's just those words that 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 person needs to hear. Say, think, yes, I can trust these people. I can I can get some help, or even recommending things like having spoken to somebody about how you're feeling, or even. Even, you know, recommending things like your mentoring or coaching is to help them through, really. It may not be you who has to take on that that burden of trying to crack through their personality or that, that barrier, but trying to direct them in the right place, in the right direction.
0: And then encouraging to take up that professional help. Because I guess in my experience, women are more likely to seek help sooner and take it when I mean, it's offered. And men tend to big ex- big, big exaggeration, but tend to only do it when there's a crisis. And then they see the value, they go, oh, crumbs! should have done this years ago, you know.
1: And it's interesting because I, a couple of men, mentees I have recently, two of them are men. and Yes, we talk about career development, et cetera, but it's a lot to do with how, because they're newly qualified GPs and there's a lot to do with how they're feeling and their emotions of being a post-CCT GP and... You can see that the cogs are turning and, and they're slowly starting to express their how they feel and, and this after the session to feel a lot better for it. So as you said, professional health, you know, things like your GPSs, your practitioner health, you know, the BMA offers some support, all their support, support men really, and male doctors.
0: Yeah, and you should I guess I'd always be encouraging guys to access it even more than women because often women have got their informal support structures, much much better ground at, you know i know i've got several girlfriends i could just phone up and go for a walk. you know i've got my other half i could talk to i've got my my group of gal pals you know i, I know i've got it there and then there's also that you know i have my own coach i you know yeah. access it because i know how important it is oh, absolutely but noreen just one further question of course if you're a woman and you've got a bloke at home that you just know is struggling but you know they'll talk to you they won't talk to anyone else
1: what should he do? If I use the example of, well, my wife and me, I think it's, again, making small inroads, just checking in on them, you know, how are you doing, et cetera. But also perhaps if that man likes a celebrity, for example, a, a sports person, oh, honey, did you notice that this person's come out in the news and spoken about their issues? And, you know, because a lot that's happening a lot more and they're a lot more open, which is fantastic. Obviously, if they're on, you know, social media, more likely to express their opinion on on those platforms. You might ask their best mate to come and have a chat with your your partner. But no, I think the first option is quite a good one actually. Um, to 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 let them know that it's okay to feel this way, that because the the people that they look up to, for example, they they talk about their mm. problems.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, <laughs> I have been known to strategically leave books lying around, but yeah. they're never read. But I think what i found, and, and my, my girlfriends have found this as well, that a lot of the time their other halves will accept stuff if one of their guy friends has recommended it. So I think that point about getting another guy to recommend stuff and say, actually, this was helpful. And why, why don't you try that? That sometimes lands better than the wife recommending it. So working working in the background there, just sort of gentle nudge in this direction, gentle nudge in that direction. And... Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so we're nearly out of time. What would your top three sort of tips be for, I guess, encouraging vulnerability, getting deeper relationships where you can start to talk about this stuff and, and getting help tips? Top
1: three would be acknowledge that you have an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be, tr- be honest with yourself. That would be number one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Number two would be know that vulnerability, as I said before, vulnerability is, is not a sign of weakness. It's okay to ask for help. Self-compassion, self-compassion is not a crime. And number three, um, build those meaningful relationships that treat your, have a work family, so to speak. Let, you know, open up to them about how you're feeling and you will feel better, relationship will be better and you'll you feel, you'll thrive at work. Really well.
0: Yeah, we d- we do need friends at work. It's so important.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Gosh, we spend we spend enough time there, don't
1: we? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. <100%,
0: 100%. laughs> yeah. I said, where would you point people if if there's someone listening to this thinking, okay, actually, I really do need help?
1: Yeah. So I would point them to the direction as I said earlier on, Practitioner Health UK, GPS, and I'm happy you know, to have a chat with people informally if they want, you know, can from a Twitter handle and email, et cetera. And I think the best resource is actually yourself and the people that you work with, to be honest.
0: Mm. And th- there's a lovely book called Time to Think by Nancy Klein, and she talks about forming thinking partnerships with people. So uh, her sort of strap line is the quality of my listening determines the quality of your thinking. And it's a great way of finding out what you're thinking of talking things through and, She literally suggests get together with someone for an hour, 25 minutes, you talk, they listen, 25 minutes, they talk, you listen. So it's very mutual. It's very supportive. And you'll find you you really develop a depth of relationship and you sort out a load of issues that you you might not have sorted. (laughs) I I just did want to ask you, though, what, what is GPS for people that don't know?
1: Yeah, so GPS is a mentoring scheme that's set up in, I suppose, our local area in Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire. It's a free service that's set up by GPs, for GPs, and also healthcare care, uh, primary care staff. And you get a certain number of sessions over the course of a few months, completely confidential. And I'm sure there will, who are, if you're not listening in that area, there will be other similar services around the UK as well.
0: There are lots of services, there are lots of schemes, and I think many of them are underutilised you know, they've got availability and particularly over COVID, there's been a lot of coaches have been offering their services for free and they haven't been used. Now, some of that is that people are busy, but actually, I know I would say this, I'm a bit biased as the coach, but really, you know, uh, coaching brought me 18 months further forward in the space of six weeks.
1: And we know that with the retention crisis and general practice and primary care, we know that you know, coaching and mentoring can really help someone, you know, could get that unbiased view.
0: Yeah. And there's the Akiso network where I am. So, you know, they will, most regions have their own network. So just really encourage people to, to access that. So, absolutely. oh, thank you so much. That's been a, yeah, really, really interesting. And I hope we haven't been too sort of sweepingly generalistic about guys and girls. But I, I know that it's not as cut and dried as that, but it's just, I guess it's really interesting to hear your observations actually quite similar to mine.
1: No, I really appreciate you having me on this podcast, Rachel. I appreciate your time. And as I say, family always get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to chat. And it's been a pleasure.
0: Great. Thanks so much. we we'll speak soon, hopefully.
1: Take care, Rachel. Bye. Bye-bye.